Thanks for checking out the Lakeshore Podcast. If this is your first time listening with us, we want you to know God loves you. We want for your hope in Jesus to be renewed and for your faith to come to life. Wherever you are joining us from, we hope this message encourages you. Amen, amen. Hey, if you brought a Bible, open it up to two passages, Hebrews chapter 4 and Matthew chapter 11, Hebrews chapter 4, Matthew chapter 11. I wanted to do some research to see, well, in light of COVID and the cultural shift and things that we've been seeing, what's the anticipated Easter celebration around the world? And I found a number of sites that said, uh, out of the 7.9 billion people that are on the planet today, and obviously that's a, a close to number, it's still growing and, and adjusting every minute of every day, somewhere between 3 and 4 billion people are expected to celebrate Easter. And that was awesome to me. I was like, yay, that's great, because we're nearing 50%. I mean, the Bible talks about that as we get to the last days, not a huge percentage, not like most of the people on the earth are going to go God's path. There's going to be a percentage of people that will. So I was pretty excited about that until I started digging down and I realized, oh, they don't mean like celebrate Jesus. They don't mean like celebrate, you know, the resurrection. They mean like, you know, getting all dressed up and having lunch and, and having Easter baskets and doing different festivities and, and a lot of that includes church. But even the people that come to church don't always know or don't always realize exactly what they're celebrating. It's a religious reverent event. No, no question about that. Nobody's questioning people's heart's intent where that's concerned. But there, there are some adjustments because when we stop to think about the actual resurrection story and what really happened and how here we are over 2,000 years later, it's still rocking the world and changing our lives. Listen, when, you, when that dawns on you, that should be so amazing that it literally changes everything. I mean that it, it shakes your emotions. It causes you to sit up a little bit and say, whoa, 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 what? How am I living my life? Where, where are my priorities? Where, where, where are things moving? And let me tell you why. Because listen carefully, Jesus really did rise from the dead. Uh, that's not just a Christian belief, by the way. Jesus really rose from the dead, and, and the whole world knows this. In fact, Gallup poll shows that 84% of non-church, non-believing people, they know that Jesus rose from the dead. This is not an argued fact anymore. This is not, well, that's a nice fairy tale. No, everybody knows, everybody who's intelligent knows that this, this actually happened. Now, I'm not saying that everybody who believes that it happened believes that Jesus is who he claimed to be. I'm certainly not saying that everybody understands what the significance of Jesus rising from the dead was. But listen, it's a foregone conclusion. Nobody's arguing about it because just like Jesus' birth, this was historically documented. Everybody knew, no, this actually happened. And just like his birth, the death and the resurrection of Jesus is, is, is historically documented. It wasn't a secret. It wasn't something done in the corner of some church or some little private prayer group. And a few select people said, wow, that was really incredible. And then they passed it on. And 2,000 years later, the circle has grown. No, no, no. Everybody knew this. In fact, you can do your own homework. There's at least 15 historical reference to the resurrection and, and to the crucifixion. And all of them document 
that Jesus, after he died and was in the grave for three days, that Jesus was cited meeting with people. He was cited teaching people. He was cited talking. He was cited cooking. He was cited, you know, fixing and eating breakfast and sharing meals and conversations. In fact, one, one time he even addressed a group of people over, five, uh, uh, over 500 in attendance. And some of those people were still alive as, as the rest of the New Testament was written. And the apostles talking to them. And he's saying, some of you knew. You were there. You saw it. You were right in town. You, looked, you saw the news headlines. You knew what was happening. This actually really happened. And, and, and we, we need to understand. In fact, let, let me I'll give you one more. I wasn't going to put it in, but I'll put it in. In Matthew chapter 27, this is kind of a little trivial fact that some of you can go home later on and grab your Bible and, and look it up. But listen, when Jesus rose from the dead, the Bible gives two little interesting, obscure kind of scriptures that said, not only did Jesus rise from the dead, but the power of this living God, this creator of the universe, was so enormous that other people rose from the dead in the same cemetery. And not only that, they went to their relative's house. So can you imagine sitting there having your Passover lunch and someone's knocking on the door and you open it, it's grandma. <laughs> Grandma's been gone for like 20 years. It's grandma, and you're like, uh, hey, I just thought I'd come tell y'all Jesus is alive. No, I saw him. No, I was there. Jesus really did rise from the dead, and they're testifying of these things. And then the story just kind of ends and goes on. We don't know how long they stayed alive. We don't know if they lived another 10 years, another five years, another two years, and five minutes. We don't know. All we know is that this stuff was real and it's documented, and that's why it's significant 2,000 years later. You can, you can dive into your Easter baskets, you can gnaw on your chocolate bunnies, you can immerse yourself in, in you know, wardrobes and in, and in Easter lunch, and all that stuff's great, all that stuff's part of the fun. But if you miss what really happened in the Easter story, you miss the whole thing. And this is not a secret. Everybody knows this. Nobody's arguing this because it was so clear. So, so here's the big question then. Why is it so significant 2,000 years? Okay, so we had a human being, the only one registered on the earth in the entire history of mankind, by the way, who died a gruesome, painful death. And then he rose back again on the third day. And everybody knows that. Why is that so significant? And I'll tell you a few reasons why. One reason is because it identifies the fact that Jesus was who he claimed to be. Listen to what Jesus said to his disciples in John chapter 14, verse 6. He said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. And nobody, not anybody past, present, or future, nobody becomes part of God's family and goes to heaven except for through me. Now, he's not one way. He's not even the best way. He's the only way. Jesus made that claim. Pretty audacious, right? Pretty big. But Jesus made the claim and then turned around and backed it up. Not only that, in John chapter 2, we find Jesus walking into the religious temple and everything was not the way God said it. And Jesus starts overturning tables and said, yeah, you go away. No, we're not doing this anymore. And the religious leaders got upset and they came in. Who do you think you are? And in essence, Jesus said, well, I'm God's son. I'm the Messiah. And they're like, that's, that's crazy. That's crazy. He said, no, no, seriously, I, I really am. He said, they said, prove it. And he said, okay, I will. He said, not too long from now, you're going to kill me. But in three days, I'm going to rise back from the dead. And he did it. 
And everybody knew it. I mean, they tried to cover it up, but everybody knew it. When you look at things like that that are actual in the New Testament and the fact that Jesus foretold and said, this is what's going to happen, and this is how I'm going to address it, and this is what's going to happen later, and this is what's going to change. Here's three things that we know indisputably because of the Easter resurrection. Number one, that Jesus really is who he claimed to be, audacious as it is. But we have to make a decision as a human society, since the resurrection is absolutely true, either Jesus was a crazy man that somehow defied the odds and predicted that he would be killed and rise again, or Jesus is exactly who he claimed to be. Number two, that Jesus actually has the power that he claimed to have. Only one that ever lived on the face of the earth, but he was God's son. And he claimed, he said, no, this is what's going to happen. And he actually pulled it off. But here's the most exciting thing for us today, 2,000 years later. If Jesus is who he claimed to be, and Jesus legitimately has the power to do what he claimed he would do, then listen to me, Jesus actually fulfills the promises that he made to you and I. This is not just rhetoric. This is not just religious jargon that we read. We don't come together, you know, just to kind of sway and and sing kumbaya and feel a little better about our life. We come together to look in the word of God and say, this living savior, this man who came back to life because he was the living son of God and promised that once I do that, everything's going to change. And anybody who wants to accept the way, the truth, the life can be part of God's family and it can experience all of God's promises and all of God's blessing. This is what Jesus said. And listen to me, not long after that, one of his own disciples is on this, is exiled on this, uh, this island of Patmos, and he has this incredible experience Most of you understand that experience or at least have heard of it because it's recorded in the book of Revelation. Now, it's a lot of interesting stuff in there. But he has this vision. Jesus actually comes and visits him. Now, remember, he knows who Jesus is. He spent time with him. But listen to what Revelation chapter 1 verse 12 says. This is John speaking. It says, when I turned to see who was speaking to me, I saw seven golden lampstands and standing in the middle of the lampstands was someone like the Son of Man. Now, he says the Son of Man because that's how Jesus used to refer to himself when they were walking as a group for those three years in ministry. He said it was, he was like the Son of Man, but here's what was different. He was wearing a long robe with a gold slash across his chest. His head and his hair was as white as wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like a flame of fire, and his feet was polished brass refined in the furnace, and his voice thundered like the mighty ocean, and he held seven stars in his right hand, and a sharp two-edged sword came out of his mouth, and his face was like the sun in all of its brilliance, and listen, John said, when I saw him, I fell down in his feet like I was a dead man. I I just lost all my strength. I mean, it was so awesome and so shocking and so incredible. This is the Jesus I walked with, but he's not that same guy anymore. And he said, I felt like I was a dead man, but he laid his right hand on me and he said, don't be afraid. He said, I'm the first and I'm the last. I'm the living one. Now listen to this. I died, but look. I'm alive forever and forever, and I hold the keys of death and the grave. And this, this really happened. This really is true. And by the way, if you've accepted Jesus, you'll get that same experience someday. 
You'll get to stand and look at him face to face. And the Bible says when that happens, every tongue will, will confess. Every knee will bow. Wow. He really is the Lord. This was real. This wasn't a story. He's really the living Christ. And there's a reason why he died. And listen, that's what we need to understand today. Because if all this is true, and by the way, it indisputably is. This is not just some mystical belief. Historically documented and proven out over 2,000 years that this is exactly what the Bible says. Then here's the big question. How is it possible for that many people, over three to four billion people around the world, to attend religious services, to talk about and remember the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and yet walk away completely unaffected? If this was as earth-shaking, let me, let me just let me enlarge that. If this was as eternity-shaking, this literally, literally determines the eternities of people all, all across the earth, past, present, and future, if this was as huge as it was, then why in the world can people not be affected by that? How can, how can they just listen to a good talk and, and sound kind of, you know, uh, be kind of reverent about it and say, well, that, that was really good, but nothing shakes them to their core and says, listen, there's a real God. And this real God said some things. And one day, after my very short life on earth, I will stand in front of this real God. And this real God's made some wonderful promises to me, but he was very clear, I'm the only way. There's only one truth, and there's only one real life that will lead you to eternal life, and it comes through Jesus Christ. Well, let me propose a thought, and this is what we're going to build on for the rest of our time. I'm proposing that part of the reason why people are not shaken is because they don't understand the rest of the story. And so today, I just want to put four truths in front of you that will open your eyes, that will provoke your thinking, hopefully do something down in your heart about the rest of the Easter story. And I have to tell you up front so that you can really absorb it when we get to it later in the scripture. But when I talk about the word rest, there's actually two meanings that we're going to kind of toggle back and forth because the scriptures, even though it uses the same English word rest, really gives us two different words that are deeply embedded in the original writing. And so I want to show you that today because it's very eye-opening, transforming. But so, so the first thing, when we talk about rest, we're going to talk about the remainder. Like we started it, but, but there's a whole lot more left. And we can't just look at the beginning of the story and say, yeah, you know, we're going to celebrate that. We have to look at the entire story. And so we're going to talk about the remainder and particularly, how does that relate to our real-time everyday lives today? Why is this important? I mean, e even if this was everything we, that we said it did, if it happened 2,000 years ago, why is it still relevant today other than just some historically documented, just really awesome thing that happened? Why is it relevant to our life? And we're going to look at that today. Let me give you an example about how every single one of you already do this. Because whenever you celebrate, let's just say it's an anniversary or maybe a birthday, you never just celebrate the thing. Right? When Debbie and I celebrate our anniversary, we might mention, you know, the wedding day. Remember when? And, and she might mention something about her dress. And we might mention something about, you know, oh, and the reception. Remember who was there and, and maybe who wouldn't, couldn't make it. And we may talk about that briefly. But that's not the most of our conversation. That's really not what we're celebrating. It's not the day, the thing. What we're celebrating is everything that happened after the thing. We're celebrating 35 years 
of, of living and building a life together and learning how to love God's people and be in ministry on two different coasts, first the West and then the East Coast. We're talking about three children and, and how we did our best as imperfect parents to raise those children up to be everything that God wanted to be and how we were so excited and proud when those three children found three spouses who also loved the Lord and were willing to partner. We talk about five grandchildren and how wonderfully exhausting it is to be a grandparent and how we are so pleased in God's infinite wisdom that he gave children to young, very energetic parents and not to older, much wiser, but way more limited parents. And, and we're thrilled about that. And so we talk about those kind of things because that's the rest of the story. That's not just what happened on the wedding day. The rest of the story is what needs to be celebrated. Here's what I propose to you. I don't think many, many believers, and I'll say believers, I won't even go as far as to say Christians. There's a lot of people that believe Jesus who he says he is. They're just not sure if they want to accept him. They're just not sure if they want to be a follower of him, but hey, we, we get it. We, we know who he says he is, historically true, but we also believe, yep, there is a God, and, and, you know, and, and he, Jesus is his son, and they get that part. But, but here's the big question. I don't think they understand the rest of the story and what that implication means. And so they become kind of nominal Christians. They become Christians who are looking forward to heaven one day, especially in light of escaping the other place but they don't really recognize that Jesus did this not just so we can be forgiven of all of our sin, past, present, and future, by the way, but Jesus did this so that we can enter into a relationship and we could experience the rest of the story starting right here on earth, and then it continues forever and ever on, on up into heaven. So the first thing we're gonna talk about rest is the remainder, like the rest of it. But then we're gonna talk about also this, this term rest, which means the sta a state of peace, it's kind of a place where you realize, okay, we've gotten something established and now we can just go, oh, okay, boy, that, that was tough. Boy, that took a lot. It took more out of than we thought. But we're here and so we can kind of exhale now and realize it's not that everything's perfect. It's not that it won't be, you know, that there's not challenges, but hey, we got that done. We can exhale. Again, I'll go back to the wedding. It's like the wedding. The wedding was crazy to plan. More for my wife and, you know, and the family than me, to be honest with you. But it was still crazy. I remember it was emotional and kind of tension-filled at times. And, and there were money issues and, and invitation issues and it was all this stuff. And when the wedding was over, I'll never forget, in the limousine that, that was somebody rented for us so we could drive out in style. And we kind of left to the hotel. And we were like, oh. Like, we should be so excited, right? But we're just so exhausted. We're just glad the whole thing's over, right? And hoping we remember some of it. And listen, that's kind of what we're talking about today. That's what the word rest is implied in the Bible, that you and I are able to experience an exhale. Life's not always easy. It's not perfect. It's going to be full of challenges until we leave this planet. But, but it's possible for us to rest. And let me just kind of put a fine point of relevance. It's possible for us to rest in a world that is increasingly restless, and, and listen, Jesus was right about that. Not only that, but those men that followed him and built off of what Jesus said, they were right about that 2,000 years ago. They said, there's gonna come a time in the last few moments of the clock when, when this whole part of, 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 of God's plan comes to a close and everything and everybody moves into a whole nother dispensation, a whole nother time period of eternity, the last few moments of the clock 
are going to be depicted by really restless times. Things are just going to seem so chaotic, like how can we ever survive? The world's coming unglued. Nobody has answers. There's wars and rumors of wars, and these are big-time things. There's pestilence, there's disease, there's, there's pandemics happening all over the place with the promise that there's probably going to be more. Not only that, but there's famine and food shortages and, and inflation and, and people's hearts are getting so afraid that they're getting angry and they're getting self-centered and it's, it's got to be me. I'm going to take care of mine and I'm not worried about anybody else because I can't afford to spread out too thin. All this stuff is just going to get more and more and more intense. The Bible told us that 2,000 years ago and welcome to our life today. It's all over the headlines. But here's the amazing thing about what Jesus did. Jesus said that's exactly Well, I went and paid the price and I rose again because if you'll find me, if you'll walk in my way and in my truth and you'll experience my life, you can can literally exhale. And in the middle of all that craziness, you can say, yeah, but it's going to be all right. God's going to take care of me. God already figured all this out. I don't know how it's going to, yeah, it's scary. Don't get me wrong. But God, God somehow, some way, he's got a plan and he's going to walk me right through the middle of this. And this is what the whole New Testament's about. It's not about religion ever. It's about relationship. A relationship that you stepped into with Jesus that once you did, everything else is, oh, okay, I'm I'm so glad I'm connected with him because he is who he claimed to be. Because he does what he claimed to do and he has the power to back it up and he makes promises and this is what this is all about. So I promised you four truths. Let's jump into them quickly and we'll see how how we can move through this. Truth number one, and and we've kind of already laid a big foundation, but truth number one is the rest of the story is real. It really is. I should turn to Hebrews chapter four. We're gonna look at the beginning of verse nine uh, and there's a whole lot in here. You should know that the author of Hebrew is disputed. Uh, some people think it's Paul. Some people think it's Barnabas. Some people have you know, some other suggestions. But, but who it's written to is not disputed and it's very relevant today. Who it's written to is, a, is the Jewish people that had literally been scattered across the face of the earth because the intensity of the persecution became such that they literally had to run for their lives. Some of them leaving everything in the middle of the night just for survival. They took off and now they're scattered all over the place. And the author of Hebrew wants to write to them to encourage them that in the middle of restless times, there's rest. God hasn't forgotten. God's not unaware of what's going on. It's crazy. It's horrible. He doesn't like it. He didn't plan it, but he's not caught by surprise. And there's rest. There's a confidence. There's a peace that they can walk in in the middle of the stormiest weather. And that's what the whole book of Hebrews is written to. Uh, and In fact, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 9 just itemizes it. Listen to this. It says, so there's a special rest still waiting for the people of God. Now, I told you when the New Testament uses rest, it can be one of a couple of different meanings. And interestingly here, in just a couple of verses, we find both meanings of the word rest. As an English-speaking reader, I wouldn't have picked up on that. But if you look a little bit, you realize, oh, he's talking about two different things, and it's kind of important that we understand that. So this particular word, rest, when he says there's a special rest still waiting for the people of God, this particular rest is, we we get from the Greek Septuagint, which is when the Old Testament was translated from the Hebrew and the Aramaic into the Greek language so everybody could read it. This is the word they used. So they were like first out of the chutes to say, what did they mean in the Old Testament? And they used 
use this Greek word where we now get the word Sabbath day. It's sabbatismos. And it's where we get the word the Sabbath day. And it really points back to Genesis where the first time that the Sabbath day was ever acknowledged or was ever depicted. And it's when God rested from all of his work. This is what it says in Genesis 2 verse 2. It says on the seventh day God had finished his work of creation. And so he rested from all of his work. And God blessed the seventh day and he declared it as holy because it was the day when he rested from all of his work of creation. And again, this word Sabbath means to, be, to cease from your labor. It means everything's already done and you go, oh man, that was a lot of work, but I'm sure glad it's done. I'm sure glad that job is complete. And then you move on to something else. This is exactly what happened. In fact, this was such a huge deal to God that one book later in the Bible, in Exodus chapter 20, God's writing the Ten Commandments and he includes this in the top three. Keep the Sabbath because it's holy. Don't forget about what the Sabbath represents because that's a holy divine concept that we have to understand and bring it into our life. And from that point on, every Christian, I should say every, every Jewish believer, and then in the New Testament, every Christian has at least acknowledged the holiness of the Sabbath. If you really want to honor God, then you should make sure that every Sabbath on the seventh day, some people do that on Saturday, Saturday evening, some people wait till Sunday, but somewhere on the seventh day, however you start your, your week count, you, you should stop, and not only should you rest, but you should acknowledge the fact that God has given you this rest. God didn't say, by the way, if you're all done with your task list, then you should probably take a rest. He said, no, no, once every seven days, intentionally stop. I don't care where you're at in your task list. And recognize that God has commanded me to rest because there's a concept that I need to understand. When I'm in a relationship with God, he doesn't want me to go, 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 and feel the pressure all the time. He wants me to stop and go, oh, man, I'm sure glad this is not all on me. I'm sure glad that God steps into these things and God's the one who's helping me walk through this. And so, so he, he commanded this to be so. Well, that's really important because we get back to Hebrews chapter four, verse 10, and watch, he's gonna pull in something else and then we'll tie it together. And we're back in, in, uh, in chapter four, verse 10. He goes on and he says, for, so there's a special rest for the people of God, for all who have entered into God's rest, that's that special rest, here, he said, have rested from their labors just as God did after creating the world. And here the word rest and, and, and rested changes. It's a different word now in the original language. And this particular rest conveys someone who has literally ceased from their labor and is now seated in a peaceful state. And so here, when we put the two together, the author's trying to highlight that just like God did in creation... Just like God finished and he looked back at the earth and he said, man, that's really good. And he said, whew, okay. He said, I'm, I'm going to rest here. And he declared, he said, you know what? In fact, everybody who's part of my family from now on, I want them to experience this divine rest. And I want them to remember because of what I finished, you get to realize that I'm in control. And you can take a nice long breather instead of feeling like all the world's on your shoulders. But then the author of Hebrews upgrading that and saying, yeah, just like God rested from his creation labor, Jesus also rested. Jesus went through the cross and the resurrection. And when he was finished purchasing this wonderful package that we know is salvation, starting with forgiveness of sin, 
But then the promises that answer and resource and intervene into every challenge that you as a follower of Christ will have on the earth until you get to heaven. Jesus said, yep, I finished all that. So you don't have to stress. You don't have to strive. You don't have to work hard to try to earn God's favor. Somehow qualify for something so that maybe God will toss you a little crumb. He said, no, no, take all that off your shoulders. He said, sit down and just realize, wow, I'm so glad that Jesus did this for me because I could have never pulled it off. I just can't, but I don't have to. So in the middle of a restless, restless world, when all of the statistics and the news reports said things are going down, 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 as a Christ follower, I can look in the Bible and say, huh, well, that's interesting because according to this, it's going up, up, up. According to this, my best days are always in front of me. According to this, whatever I've sown, God's going to make sure I reap from that. According to this, his mercy endures forever. Every single morning, it updates himself, and, and, and the tank is full. So if I had a bad day yesterday, I wake up in the morning, and God's smiling. Hey, ready for a good day? His grace is abundant, always in a greater proportion than my need. See, I look at the news, and the news says, bad, bad, bad. I look at the word of God, it says, no, no, you, you're going to be okay. Take a deep breath. Exhale. If you'll follow me, if you'll walk in the way and the truth and let me bring to you the life of God, then you're going to be okay. And when you begin to realize that, you start recognizing, wow, the rest of the Easter story is not just that Jesus died and he rose again, but why it was important that he died and his resurrection was not just to come back to life, it was to prove that the promises and the power of his sacrifice, that God honored that and God said, okay, all of that stuff in, uh, regarding sin, all of that stuff regarding people have to earn it, Jesus paid for all of that for everyone for all time. And therefore, we're invited into this rest. So truth number one is the rest of the story is real. This is real, okay? This is not religious. This is not inspirational. This is actually real. And one day, every single person who ever lived on the, on the face of the earth, on one side or the other, is gonna stand in front of Jesus and everyone's gonna realize, oh, wow, this was real. But we have the opportunity to know that right now. And we can experience the rest of God in a restless world. Here's truth number two. Many people refuse the rest. And I'm not just talking about people who don't believe, you know, in who, that Jesus was who he claimed to be or had the power he claimed to have. I'm talking about a lot of people that actually believe. No, I believe Jesus is God's son. But they refuse to step into this exhale, to step into this trust where they put everything in God's plan and say, God, I, I just need you. I know Jesus finished it. Everything's already been purchased. I just need you to help me to know how to access it and how to let those things move in my life. Listen, those kind of people. And you wonder why in the world would they refuse that? And in the next verse in Hebrews chapter four, we're just walking verse by verse. Verse number 11 tells us why. He says, so let us do our best to enter that rest. We're going to come back to the word enter, make a mental note. But if we disobey God, as the people of Israel did, we will fall. You say, well, how did they disobey God? Well, it's a whole nother study that we don't have time for, but let me just give you a couple of directional arrows. One chapter earlier, in Hebrews chapter three, uh, the author is helping them to remember, listen, this is not the first time that Israel went through crazy stuff. This is not the first time you've been persecuted, and God amazingly delivered you last time 
And so God will do it again. But part of the reason he was, he, he was reminding them is because the last time that God delivered them, it's not like they were just so excited about what God was doing. They went along with the program. They pushed back. They argued. They complained. They questioned him. And sometimes they just said, now nah, we ain't doing that. I know that's what you said, but we ain't doing that. And this was all the way through the book of Exodus. For 40 years he did that. In fact, all of this stuff summarized. You say, why would they do that? And Hebrews chapter 3 verse 19 gets straight to the point. It says, so we see that because of their unbelief, because of their unbelief, they were not able to enter. Put another footnote there. We're going to come back to that. They were not able to enter his rest. And the word unbelief here is a really interesting word because, again, in the Greek language, it's the same word as we use for faith, what it means to believe. Not just to mentally acknowledge, I think that's true, but to believe it to the point that your life moves that direction. That you say, no, this is true, and i got to get lined up with that because, man, if I'm not in the middle of that truth, things are not going to go well for me. And so that's the Greek word pistis. But in this particular uh, case, they put an A in front of the Greek word pistis, which always turns the positive into a negative. So this means that these were people who made a decision. Even though they saw that something was true, even though they watched God do it over and over and over again, they're like, wow, how do you part a Red Sea? Only God can do that. How do you feed you know, millions of people fresh bread every single morning? Only God can do that. How do you defeat army after army after army? Only God can do that. And they watched this like on a regular basis. I mean, firsthand experience. And yet they turned around and they made a decision not to believe that this God was God, that he was telling the truth to the point they put your life into it. And God said to them, every time that you make a decision to not believe that I'm telling the truth, every time that you make a decision to not let me be God, and I'm just another voice in the equation, and you're like, well, I know, but you just gotta realize times have changed and, and our circumstances right now. Every time you make a decision to not let me be God, you forfeit the opportunity to exhale. Because you take the pressure back on yourself. You take the decision back on yourself. And you say, is, is that a real thing? Well, it was a real thing and still is. Because in, in the book of Romans, uh, Paul writes about it. This is what he says. I'm going to paraphrase, by the way. In Romans chapter 1, specifically verses 19 through 21, this is what he says. He's talking about a generation that's done exactly that, that will not believe God. And he describes it this way. Although they know that he's God. And don't, don't raise your hand, but know anybody like that? Might even be you. Know anybody who, oh, no, I, yeah, I know he's God, yeah. Well, what about Jesus? Yeah, I know Jesus is God's son. Yeah, died, rose from the dead. He's the Lord. Yeah, I get that part. Although he know, they know he is God, they refuse to worship him as God. Not they refuse to sing songs. They'll do that. But to give him the priority to give him the place, the attention in, in their life that, no, he's actually God. I'm not God. He's God. And because they know he's God, but they refuse to worship him as God, and instead they choose to live the way they want, the Bible goes on and says, so God just says, okay, then you're forfeiting Ever being able to walk in wisdom, ever being able to walk in the resource, ever being able to walk in the blessing of the Lord, and what's going to happen is you're going to go into a downward spiral. You can read it for yourself in Romans chapter 1, and then you can kind of look up all around us in our culture and in the headlines, and you say, that's exactly what's happened. Come on, they know. They know. 
Everybody knows. Historically documented. Everybody knows. But they just shut their eyes and they say, nope, we don't want to do that. And you say, why would they do that? Well, because of selfishness. Because of their own deception. Because of their own preferences. The same, same reason the people of Israel did it. Some people have gotten hurt. And they have by Christians, by churches. Some people have been disappointed. We prayed and we really wanted God to do something and he didn't do it. And rather than come back and say, that was really weird. I thought it was going to work out. But hey, he's God. We got to stay with him, right? There is no other God. He's God. And so they make these choices and there's lots of other. But, but God says, listen, it all really boils down to this unbelief. You might believe that he is God, that he is the Lord, but you don't believe that he's your Lord and so you don't let him lead and govern your life. You won't step into the way, the truth, so that he can give you the life that he was promised in the word of God. Which leads us to truth number three. And this is a reality. In spite of all of that, right? In spite of the rebellion and the stubbornness and the complaining and the murmuring and, 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 and the, you know, the, the lying and all the stuff that goes on in humanity. Listen, Jesus wants you to rest. He really does. Jesus wants everybody to rest. That was John 3, 16. God so, so, so loved the whole world that he sent Jesus so that everybody would believe, not unbelief, everybody that would believe would have eternal life. Jesus really wants us to rest. And let me go back to Hebrews chapter four. We're coming to the last couple of verses. In verse 14, remember we started in verse nine. We'd just been tracking through verse by verse pretty much. And verse 14 says this. So then, since we have a great high priest, now he's talking about Jesus, who has entered into heaven, Jesus, the son of God. And just so you don't get caught up in religious terms, a high priest was the mediator. He was the advocator, right? The priest in the Old Testament was the one who was the representative from God to the people. But then he would turn around and he would represent the people to God. He was the one bridging whatever gap there was. And it says, because Jesus has now taken on this role. And the Bible says that he's up in heaven and he's advocating or mediating for you. So he's talking to God and saying, hey, listen, here's what's going on in their life. And, and this is what I'm asking, what I'd like to see happen. And, and then he turns around and he comes and he speaks to you on behalf of God and says, this, this, is what, this is what we need you to do so that we can bless and so that we can help you through. This is the advocate or the high priest. And he says, since we know that we have this high priest, Jesus, the son of God, listen, let us hold firmly to what we believe. And that particular term, hold, hold firmly, means when you're in a place where you've got something valuable and, and circumstances are, are creating a little bit of anxiety, like, man, it would be easy for this to slip through my fingers. I feel like people are trying to pull it out, that the society is trying to pressure me in, into believing some other truth or a slightly different version of the truth. But I know what the truth is. I know who God is and I know what he said and I know what he promised and I don't care what it looks like, I'm gonna hold tight. It means to wrap your fingers around this and give it a white knuckle grip like I am never, ever, ever gonna let this go. I don't care if it doesn't look like it's working. I'm gonna stick with what God said because he's God. And that's what this says. He said, and listen, remember, he's talking to people that have been scattered. People that have lost everything. They've lost their lives. They've lost family members. They're all, they're displaced. And he says, but I want you to know, because you know who Jesus is, and you know that he's advocating for you, he says, I'm telling you, you need to hold firmly to those things that you know. And then he goes on and says something amazing in the next verse. He says, this high priest of ours, listen, understands our weaknesses. 
And it's such a tender phrase. It's such a compassionate phrase. After giving them a charge, hold on tight. Don't let go. Keep remembering God's God. All of a sudden, he gets real tender. He says, you know why? Because this high priest of ours, Jesus, man, he's so tender in his heart. He sees every bit of the pressure that you're under. He sees every tear that you cry, even the ones in the middle of the night that nobody knows. He sees every time you just stuff it down inside and try to put on a brave face and say, no, we're going to be okay. We're going to be okay. But inside, man, you're fracturing. Inside, you're like, I I don't know. He says he understands our weaknesses. Why? Because he faced all the same testings that we do and yet without sin. You know, there's so many Christians, so many followers of Jesus, they don't believe that Jesus really understands. They think he's up there. I did it. You should be able to do it. He kind of got his arms crossed. Maybe got little, you know, like a little stick in his hand, you know, ready to whack you if, if you're not doing the right thing. And, or certainly if he doesn't whack you, then, you know, we're pretty confident if we don't do it exactly right. He's so disappointed in us, he probably doesn't want to talk to us or see us for a while. And so we just disappear off the scene and we're talked out of running, running to God and said we run away from God. And all of these things, it just seems to happen over and over and over again in our life. And it's because we don't understand that Jesus really does understand the difficulty the internal pressure, the challenge of overcoming circumstances and overcoming our weaknesses, but the Bible's convincing. Let me just give you one other example, and this is from Jesus himself. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 and 29, he's talking to a crowd, and he can see that they're beleaguered. He can see they're just worn out. He can see that the pressure's so intense, and they're here, but oh my goodness, they're, they're just so tired. And Jesus said to them, come to me. All of you who are weary and carrying heavy burdens, and listen to what he says, and I'll give you rest. I'll show you how to take an exhale. I'll show you how to go, oh, man, I'm so glad it's not all on me because I I didn't know how in the world I was going to pull this up. I'm so glad to know that God promised me, I'll get you through this. I'll walk you right through this. In fact, I'm going to get you up over the top. You watch. What the devil meant for evil, I'm going to flip this thing around and you're going to turn around as a testimony and say, man, I thought I was done for, but let me tell you what happened. I don't know how he did it, but God did it again and again and again and again. And Jesus said, if you feel like you're just weighed down and you're discouraged, he said, come, come, come talk to me. He said, I'll give you rest. And he goes on and he says, uh, take my yoke upon you and listen, let me teach you why, because I'm humble. And I'm gentle at heart. I, I talk to some Christians, that's not the Jesus they know. He's demanding. He's critical. He's on the spot. Come on, you got to be on your toes. You, you got to be up. It's the early bird that gets the worm. You, you better be. He's just, he just on, 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 on. And he says, no, no, no. He said, I'm, I'm humble. And he said, I'm really gracious. I'm really gentle at heart. And notice this. He said, and you will find rest for your souls. Not just the activity. You're going to find rest at the deepest part of who you are. Suddenly from the inside to the outside, you'll be like, oh my goodness, I'm so glad. I'm so glad that's finished. What do you mean that's finished? We're not through the circumstance. I know, but the pressure, but the weight of it. It's kind of like getting that phone call, right? When a bill's due or something, you don't have the money and all of a sudden you get the call and some unexpected bonus comes through or you get a refund check in the mail and you open it up and, and you go, oh my goodness, here's the answer to my prayer. Well, the bill's not paid. But you've got the answer now, and so the internal pressure just goes, oh. And that's exactly what Jesus is saying that I want to give you, which leads us to number four. Because if you begin to understand that this is real, 
and that Jesus really wants to do what he, what he promised he would do to give you rest. And, and you begin to understand that we don't have to refuse rest. There's only one more question that you have to answer. And we can answer this one pretty quick. We have to enter the rest. It, it's like a door with a welcome mat. And the lights are on. And Jesus is standing there saying, come on, come on. I'm, I'm telling you, I, I, I am who I say I am. I can do what I said I would do, and I will keep every one of my promises. Come on. And you're standing at the gate like, I don't know. I, 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 I don't, I'm not sure if I should go or not. Listen, we have a responsibility to enter that rest. Now, I had you turn to place two mental place marks. And we're not going to turn back there, but in Hebrews 3.19, it says that at that point, the nation of Israel failed to enter rest because of unbelief. Not because of ignorance, like, well, we just don't know. No, they knew. They saw it. It was indisputable. But because they didn't want to give this up or give that up, and, and because they, they felt this and they felt that, they're like, yeah. And, be, and so they made a decision not to believe. And that put them on a wrong path. Not only that, in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 11, it says that we are challenged that there's still this special rest. We're supposed to enter into this rest. And as we enter into that rest, we do it through belief. And, and the word enter, here's the last word I'm going to give you. It's really interesting because it's describing a person who goes on a very intentional journey. He's got his GPS set. He's got all, you know, all of his coordinates, a stopping place. But he doesn't just go to the location but this describes a person that once he's to the general area, finds his specific place and literally walks through the front door and is inside of it. And this is really important because there's a lot of people that have put their big, broad, general faith someday in eternity, I'm going to get to go to heaven. And so they've gone to the general vicinity of a relationship with God, but that's not what the Bible says entering rest is all about. Entering rest is not only you get in the general vicinity, but then you go on to the specific de destination and you walk through the door. And that's what the Bible's saying that we're invited and we're encouraged to do here, that we're just walking through. Because here, here's what the Bible teaches, and I'm closing here. The Bible teaches that the moment that someone accepts the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior, not only do all of their sins get forgiven, but they're given this incredible benefit package. You can read about the highlights in Psalm 103, the first five verses, and it tells you everything that's outlined in your benefit package as someone who's been redeemed from the curse of the law, who's been washed in the blood of Jesus, and now is part of his family. And when you read that benefit package, you're like, oh, forgives all of my sins, heals all of my diseases redeems every broken deficit situation in my life, puts me back on top and gives me a fresh start again, gives me favor and grace in the hidden places, opportunities that I could never create, but God's talking to people behind the scenes so that I can step into an opportunity that I didn't see coming, but it's exactly the one I needed. And then he pulls all of the stuff that's going on in my life together and causes me to just feel satisfied and fulfilled. Still hungry for more, but fulfilled and satisfied. Like, you know what? This is a great life. What a great adventure I'm on. Yeah, it's kind of rough right now, but what a great adventure. All of those things are part of what, what, he, what he's promised us. And you say, how do you do that? Here's the last verse we're going to read. He says, so let us come boldly into the throne of our gracious God. And notice this, that you may receive mercy and you will find grace when you need it the most. Mistakes Christians make. 
They think, well, I know I really need it right now. I got to get my act cleaned up. I got to start living right. And then I can go to God and maybe he'll bless me. No, no. On your worst day, when you've made all the wrong decisions and you're, you're in the consequences of all of them, your life has come and unraveled and fallen apart, that's when you run to the throne, not of judgment, not of an angry, critical God because you did this again and again and again, but you run to the throne and the first thing you realize, he's tenderhearted and he's gentle and you'll find mercy. He said, come here, come here. I know, I know, I understand. It's, it's rough going through those things. And then you'll find grace to, to resource you and to do what you needed to do. But here's what I want you to see. He said, come boldly. You know the word boldly, it's really interesting because it literally means with frank, honest speech. Stop trying to convince him that you're doing better than you are. Stop trying to convince him there's a reason or a rationale for why you are the way you are. Just come and be honest. I'm jacked up today. I'm so tired, I don't even know how to think. I'm struggling because it's like I'm, I'm just looking for a little bit of hope, but every time I do, it feels like another announcement or another thing happens and just shoves me down to the bottom again, right? I, you know, this is great. I got a great life, I got a great marriage, but man, I just thought it was gonna be better. I thought we were gonna be more connected, more intimate. I thought we were gonna be best friends and it feels like there's walls going up all over the place. I mean, whatever it is, just be frank, just be honest with him and come and just lay it all out there, all the ugly stuff and all the needs and all the desperation and say, so what do you got for me? Tell me how to fix this. The Bible says when we come, we get mercy and we get grace and we get the opportunity. He opens the door. He says, well, come on in here. First of all, sit down, take a breath, exhale. I got this. I can help you. And then we begin to walk in the way by the truth and we begin to experience the life. This is the promise of God. Might be some of you here and you say, hey, that that was kind of interesting, but I'm only here because somebody invited me. (laughs) I'm really not into all that right now. And and listen to me, I'm, I'm still glad you came because at least you understand some things that maybe you didn't know before and maybe it'll lead you to the conclusion that you aren't buying in because you didn't know what you were missing. Maybe that'll lead you down the right path. I pray the Holy Spirit will help you with that. Might be some people here that kind of lived in that, you know, the general vicinity, but you've never really asked Jesus into your heart and you've never allowed him to be, you know he's God, but you don't credit him as God. And today's your day to change because this is a very sobering, serious time that we're living in. Do you know the Bible says Jesus could literally come back any moment? Lots of different things on the internet about prophetic, you know, where are we at in the whole thing? It, it's a crazy scramble thing and we might walk through it at some point, but let me just tell you this. As far as the church being pulled up to Jesus, there's not one single thing in any of the scriptures that has to happen before we go meet Jesus. Could literally be today. Could literally be this afternoon. It could be before we get out of service. I mean, it, I'm not trying to scare anybody. I'm just saying this is sobering. This is serious. And if you're here today and you believe that Jesus really is the son of God, but you've never stepped in and just entered into that relationship, I'm telling you, today's your day. Maybe you're here and you said, yeah, I I did when I was younger, you know, but I've kind of drifted and just things got crazy and I was doing fine till COVID and all of a sudden, listen, today's your day to to rededicate and step back in. Not to be religious, but because this is real and God really wants to help us, but we have to really step in and commit our heart. So I'm going to pray for you in just a moment. In fact, I'm going to say two quick prayers. First prayer I'm going to lead you in. And if any of those decision points apply to you, then I'm going to lead you in a prayer. But listen, this is your prayer to God. I'm just going to kind of steer you the right direction. 
and, uh, and you need to say these words to God and, and know that he's listening to you personally. He wants to hear you say this. But then we're gonna come back and I'm gonna give you a couple little things you need to think about and then we'll do a, a, a prayer of dismissal. And when we do that, the altar team's gonna come back up. If God spoke to you today, you felt a little tug in your heart or you wiped away a tear or something at that point and there's a relevant point listen to me the Bible's really clear whenever we come together in the house of God God shows up and when when we're there that's the time to put stuff in front of him and just be honest and say I, I sure could use some help and we have people down here they understand that and they want to pray for you because we don't want anybody to walk out of here and not receive what Jesus has for them that's our heart We just want to connect you and Jesus and then watch what Jesus does. All right, bow your head and close your eyes. If you want to make a decision for the Lord first time, first time in a long time, or lean in a little deeper, then I want you to pray with me. In fact, everybody, let's just pray this prayer. Some of you are praying it as a memorial or a reminder of that time you prayed it and God really began to work in your life. Let's all pray this together. Dear Lord Jesus, we believe that you're the son of God, that you really died on a cross that you really did come back from the dead and you did it so that you could offer me rest forgiveness salvation protection provision and I sure need all of that I accept you as my Lord today and I need you to help me from this point on to know how to walk in the way in the truth so I can experience the life that you promised me. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Hey, hey, listen, uh, it, it's so important if you're gonna follow Christ that you, you're part of a good church. And I'm not saying this is the best church, although my whole family goes here. We think it's great. Uh, but listen to me, it, it's really part, uh, important to be part of a church that teaches the Bible, that gets into this thing so you can understand how all these things uh, are put together. And if you don't have a home church, uh, we'd like to invite you to come back, give us four tries. You heard Pastor Brandon and Pastor Jenny mention that. Uh, not so we can sell you, but so you can understand a little more and get a feel and say, is this the church that God wants me to be part of? And if it is, boy, we would just love that. But even if you don't want to be part of this church or you decide there's another church for you, Um, you can text uh, LIFE to this particular number on the screen. And there's some resources that we want to get across to you that will help you to think through what are next steps. No pressure. We're not going to stalk you. But but we want to make sure that you're understanding. You didn't just make a decision and now you're like, now what do I do? So we're going to give you some resources that will help you to take baby steps and begin to learn how do I put this together and how do I get to that exhale place? What does this really look like? So if you'll text that. I'm going to pray for you one more time. And then after I do, uh, the worship team will lead us in a song and, uh, and you'll be dismissed, but the altar team will come back up if you want to pray. Let's all stand together. <clears throat> Jesus, we're so privileged and so honored to be able to celebrate your resurrection. And we just jumped right into the middle of scriptures and we tried to understand what is this really all about and how does it affect our life? But really, Jesus, you're the one who put it together and Holy Spirit, you're the teacher. So as we leave today, Take this and put it in all of our lives as we need it. Make sure that it ends up for your testimony that our lives are changed. And we thank you for this in advance. In Jesus' name. And everyone said. Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe. And check out our podcast channel for more messages. If you like what you're hearing, share it with your friends. For more content from Lakeshore and information on services, check us out at lakeshorecf.com.